Hi, I'm Chris Klink, and you're listening to my Writing Table Podcast. Welcome, Kwana. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. You wrote several romance novels under the name of K.M. Jackson. What inspired you to write under Kwana? It really wasn't between KM and Quana. There's no real big shift in names. It was pretty much me coming out with a new series from Berkeley. And Berkeley suggested, how about doing a first and a last name? They thought it would do better for them. And this is just going to the Quana brain, which was like, oh, it'd be nice to have another pen name. And then it was like, yeah, no, not so much. Because if I had another name, someone would call it and I would just completely just sail right past them and not answer and forget what my pen name is. So I was like, how about we just use my real name and say Quana Jackson? We'll just do it that way. And um, luckily they were like, hey, you've got a nice name. We'll take well, you know, not take it. It's still my name, but we'll we'll use that. And I always kind of wanted to use the Quana Jackson name. So it really seemed like a great time to bring it out with Real Men Knit. Shonda Land said, if you're looking for an easy charmer, this is the novel for you about Real Men Knit. Okay. inspired it? Years ago, there was the Ryan Gosling, Hey Girl memes. Remember those Hey Girl? And they were all over. It's like early Twitter days. I guess Ryan Gosling learned how to knit when he was doing Lars and the Real Girl. So that'll give you a frame of reference. And I saw, you know, these memes and it was all about him knitting. I'm a knitter too. Not the best knitter, but I am a knitter. And I'm the queen of the stickies. There's stickies on my desk, desk, window, stickies all around. I ended up writing a little piece of paper, male knitting series. Just, and it was just stuck. That was it. But it was just an idea that stuck with me for years. When I ended up getting a new agent, it just felt like, you know, the time to bring this out. I was like, oh, I'd love to do this series with guys knitting. I want to make them all diverse. And he immediately said, I love it. He goes, you're not going to believe this, Juana. I'm a knitter. And I was like, I've got the right agent. He's like, I will sell that. And he sold it. It was a very fresh, fun concept. And they're, they're a great found family. And thank you so much. I'm happy you said that found family. They really are. For so many of us, your found family is your family. Truly. I have a very close knit family and also a very like wild (laughs) family, but also a very big extended family. Real men niche. I tell people it's very much, you know, love letter to where I grew up and to my family and extended family because most of my books are based in or around New York or it's going to have some sort of New York feeling. I tell people I believe New York, such a New Yorker. But this is the first one that I based right where I grew up, right smack dab in the middle of Harlem. Pretty much I can see the fictional knitting shop up the street from my grandmother's house is what I sort of placed there. So it's really a love letter to my family and sort of just the whole neighborhood and that extended family of the neighborhood and being a kid of the 80s where it was sort of that whole takes a village where it's like, you know, you better not act up because they're going to call your mother, your grandmother. The neighborhood knows your business kind of thing. Exactly. No secret. Your next one is a rom-com featuring Keanu Reeves. Are you a fan? Who's not? And if there is that person, you know, I don't want to meet him. I'm a huge Keanu fan. And I, and the funny thing about Keanu, it came about for me seeing a tweet about The Matrix and the next John Wick coming out on the same day, which it's not now because of the pandemic. Being on social media so much and saying maybe too much, I said, no to self, don't bring your next book out on Keanu Day, thinking because everyone will be in the theaters, unless it's How to Marry Keanu in 90 Days Rom-Com. And then I hit send. I really had no book in mind. I just sort of, that title just sort of came to me as I was tweeting it. When I did it, people were like, I'd read that, I'd read that, I'd read that. And it was like, oh, I might have done something. 
I think one of those people that said, I think that. <laughs> might have. There were a lot of, and so even the next day, I was like, what did I really do? Then I was talking to my mother. I was like thinking about this Keanu story. She's like, I was just watching the first John Wick on the Netflix because it's the Netflix when you're talking to my mother. On the Netflix. On the Netflix last night. You know how much I love him. So she went into her love of Keanu. So then I talked to my daughter and she went into her love of Keanu. I was like, okay, maybe I hit on something and maybe I should make this a real thing. Saw a movie about a year ago. It was him and Winona Ryder. That's a good one. Is that the wedding? Yeah, and I texted... Kristen Higgins, you need to see this because this looks like something you would have written. It does. It really did. You are so right. Totally sweet and romantic, but quite funny and snarky. I loved it so much. My year of Keanu homework is that was not bad research. Watching movies that I've seen already and then watching that I hadn't seen. That one stood out to me so much. That was really good. It's a very tightly written story. (laughs) Lots of tension. What is your favorite of his movies? Now that's hard. Um, Top three. Top three. Okay. A Walk in the Clouds. Him and Over the Fire with the Wings. That gets me every time. I just love Speed so much. That Spin Out, Kiss and Speed. I will will stop for it every single time. And then when we get into the third, that's where it gets hard because I could just go on and on. I adore Baby Keanu and Dangerous Liaisons. I really, really love Drag Keanu and Gary Oldman and also Winona Ryder again. So maybe, you know, I like that combination. Can't forget Point Break. Oh, Point Break. Yeah. In Utah, the John Wick movies are like, they all are just tremendous. I'm torn between one and two. I'm going to say two. I'm going to say two. John Wick two. I will be firm on that probably, maybe. I mean, the title is really interesting. Tell us a little bit about the story. Does someone really get to date Keanu? I can't tell you. Is sort of a road trip romance. And the question I'm asking in this story is true love out there in the stars, or maybe it's by your side all along. It's about an artist who has always been a Keanu super fan. And when she finds out that he's getting married, sort of everything freezes and stops for her. Like, wait a minute, what? Keanu's settling down, getting things in his life together. What does that mean for my life? I got to stop him. And she and her best friend of many years, she's going on this quest for him. And her best friend sort of goes on this quest to make sure she doesn't get into any serious trouble. (laughs) Of course. What I love is this theme of, you know, those men that kind of formed when we were younger, formed our idea of the ideal man as we grow up and date and marry. And Bethany Crandall's book, The Jake Ryan Complex. Kind of and that's that. my heroine's name. Her name's Bethany. <laughs> oh, Bethany, how funny. Well, hers is about a woman that is so fixated on Jake Ryan. Who didn't love Jake Ryan? You got it. Perfect boyfriend forever. Yeah. Universal themes that are universal. They hooked us and dragged us in. Now that I think about it, how many Jakes are there? Heroes named Jake in romance. I can't count how many times I've seen 16 Candles. So now I'm wondering if I've seen it a million times, how many other romance authors have seen it a million times? And how that name Jake has probably stuck. Jake and Ryan, how many Ryans mm-hmm. are there? How that name Jake Ryan has probably stuck in our Cons- well, consciousness, yeah. you know, for all these years. Yeah. And how many babies were born in the late 80s? early 90s, 2000s, named Jake. Or Ryan. Jake. Or Keanu. (laughs) Or Keanu. Not as many. Not as many. That's a little hard. You know, it's a little harder. Harder to say. Not so. Don't ask my mother. Not so hard. Just (laughs) Quana. Just (laughs) Don't ask. Don't ask Quana's mother because she's perfectly fine. Perfectly normal to her. Well, she's kind of happy about the name, the name, you know. Yeah, I'll bet so. I'll bet she's happy about anything you do, too. She's that way with all her kids. It does, you know, she doesn't pick favorites there. Each of us have hung the moon. 
We Aww. wake the sun up. Doesn't matter what we're doing. <laughs> well, as it should be. As yeah. it should be. Tell me how you found your way to publication. Finding your way is such a big thing. I was first published by a small press with Crimson, a Crimson Romance. And I think Crimson is not really there anymore. I ended up getting my rights back to my book, self-publishing them. In the meantime, I self-published my book, Bounce. Mm-hmm. And that was after being rejected for years and years. I want to say over 10 years and more rejections than I can count in 11 years. More rejections, like, you know, I stopped filing them. I'm sure one will come up this year that's from like, you know, 1994 or something like that. We'll remember, and this sort of will lead to our whole diversity comment, having an agent who was um, suggested by a friend of mine. And this agent has gone on when he's passed away, but he likes my writing. And we ended up breaking up because a comment he said to me, maybe I can make it a little bit blacker. So that was my early days of publishing. And he meant. I know what he meant. And what I put him on the hot seat and said, you know, we were having lunch. Said, well, what exactly do you mean? And he couldn't really answer. I was like, you mean more black clothing, black people in space? What do you want? Well, what would make it blacker for you? I think it's all about finding the right person who gets your voice and believes in your voice. Talking to Farrah Roshan about diversity in romance, and she said she would go into a bookstore and look for romance that had Black characters. And they said, oh, that's in African-American literature. Absolutely. American interest section. It wasn't even like the literature section put you in fiction. Yeah. It was in African-American interest in certain books. It might have been. Yeah, so hers next to Toni Morrison. And she was like, um, that, yeah. those were not the same. Yeah. You know, or it will be next to a biography of MLK or Malcolm X or something like that. It's like, seriously, you're going to put my rom-com next Mm -hmm. to serious heavy biographies? You know, I often used to say I never knew how Black I was until I became a romance writer because then the industry was very, very firm on trying to define me by my race as opposed to here's a romance book for you that I wrote. Here's a romance or a women's fiction book as a, you know, my thing sort of did heavily and still do, you know, go into women's fiction, romance, strong romantic elements, things like that. But, you know, it was so much a definition on race and where to put you. And I think maybe he's passed away now. That agent, my voice for him and selling it didn't sort of fit into, we can just put this into a line that said to them, African-American which is ridiculous because African-American is not a monolith. Everyone has a different voice. Farrah and I, we have the same agent now. Farrah and I have completely different voices, you know, (laughs) two Black women, both writing contemporary, both usually different voices. It's horrible. And not for, you know, not for nothing, being segregated over into an African-American interest section says, if you're not interested in African-American interest, you're not interested in this romance which takes away a huge amount of romance readers from that author, which has always been one of the real sticking things for me. That takes away if they don't have that section and if Black authors are not marketed the same way as every other author in the same section, you're going to take away a huge amount of money to that author. Economic disenfranchisement of the author because you're taking away so much of an audience because the audience never gets to see it. Well, and the assumption is someone who looks like me isn't going to want to read a book that you wrote. If that book is in African-American interest, I'm not going to know it's there. We're getting there slowly. We've had too many years of seeming like no space for authors of color because publishing houses or people were like, oh, we have one. We've got one. We don't need any more. What do you mean you've got one? 
hopefully things will change for the better quicker. Romance readers love a good story. They love, you know, a good romance that's going to keep them engaged. There's buzz about a story. If a story sounds fun or, or sexy or exciting or whatever, and they're hearing about it, they're not going to worry so much about the ethnicity of the author. But they need to know that the book is out there. They need to be able to find that book and see that book and have that book in their face. And if they do, they're going to be happy to pick it up. Money always sucks. I don't understand why they haven't followed the money before. There is room. Like Kristen Higgins says, yeah. there's room at the table. There is room. There is room at the table, you know, and there is room for shifts. You know, you might not be happy with the shift, but things shift and change for reasons. It can't always just stay the same. It'll be a good day when we don't have to have this conversation, right? What can all authors do to support diverse authors? With supporting diverse authors, what I think other authors can do is sort of look at where they are, look at the houses and how they're being published, things like that, and see if there are inequalities and maybe talk to their editors and houses because readers don't know the sort of ins and outs in the houses. Readers are coming to us for the entertainment, for the good story, but we do know what's happening behind the scenes. And it's hard to ask those questions and to speak out as an author, and, and I'm sure quite scared too, because you want to have your contract and you don't want to be a troublemaker and things like that. But when you see straight up inequalities and things that aren't fair, maybe you should say, you know, well, what what's going on? You know, what's going on here? And why do you why do we have this? Why is this like this? Is this really fair? You know, and I'm sure it's going to be hard for those who are benefiting from the system. So each and every one look to themselves, question their own hearts on that. And support other diverse authors when you have an author that you like, boost it. You know, tell your friends about it, just like I would say to any reader. You know, if you like my book, please tell a friend. It's the same for authors. And authors have, you know, a larger platform. You know, hearing it from another author is always, first of all, super exciting and flattering. If, I, if, if an author says to me that they read one of my books and liked it, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. You know, that's a boost to the author. But it's also such a great endorsement for other readers. You know, that helps that author to maybe reach new people that they wouldn't have reached before. And it's so helpful. So I think that's a great way to help diverse authors being like, hey, you know, I read this and liked it. And, and why don't you check them out? I can have days of, <laughs> wow, she did 250 words today. That's great. And then, wow, she did 5,000 words. And so it really varies for me. And it depends on if I'm on deadline or not on deadline. From germ of an idea to polishing can go for a year. So I will like this. Really, I had that idea a couple of years, put it on a piece of paper, kept it, you know, marinating in the back. I start writing the idea. I would say about nine months to a year when you factor in editing and things like that. It's usually a year process between, you know, between books. But uh, I work on probably two books a year. Last year, I wrote two complete books. I can probably do two, two a year and maybe slip in a novella or something like that. But, you know, I, I can quickly-ish write a draft. It's not a good draft, but maybe quickly-ish write a draft in a two months or so. What scenes do you find the most fun to write? I don't really have a, a scene that's like, oh, I don't like love scenes or I do like love scenes over action scenes. It's whatever scene's not giving me. Oh, well, and I'm not stuck on. That's the most fun scene to write. Whichever one is flowing, you know, and it's my absolute favorite scenes to write. And it probably comes out in my work is dialogue, though. So I end up putting dialogue in everything. I like banter and I like back and forth and characters that talk a lot. So whatever they're doing, they're going to be talking a lot. Middle of sex, yes, they're talking. When things get really stuck for me, I like to just sort of quiet down, go do something else. And then I really don't think too much. When writing is flowing for me, it's the characters talking, usually. 
Yeah, so I just sort of transcribe whatever they're saying and I'm like, slow it down. If they're having an argument or something, I'm just trying to quickly write that argument down. If they're having, you know, that's all I'm trying to quickly do is get down whatever they're saying. Wait a minute, back up. What did he just Back up, back up. What do you think? Truly, that's what it's like. What are you reading right now? I am lucky enough to have just finished a couple of arcs. So I just finished Hyper Hughley Sweet Tea, which was so much fun and lovely and romantic. And I also got to read an arc of Kaia Alderson's Sisters in Arms, historical fiction. It was just fantastic. This is one that's going to go back to World War II, the Black female battalion in World War II. And it was, I just finished those. What do you think is good writing? Good writing for me is writing that keeps you caring about characters. No, it's no sort of, you know, beautiful prose. Maybe that's because I don't, I don't have beautiful prose. I'm sad. I would love to make my prose more beautiful. For me, it's you keep caring about the characters as you're reading and you're just engaged in them and you have their feelings. That's good writing for me. What are you writing now? What am I writing now is a good trick question because I was just writing to my friends. I was like, I am waiting for edit. The next, I call them the next Real real Men Knit book. It has a real title called Not Again (laughs) because that's handed in. So I've handed in uh, the next Real Men Knit book. I have done copy edits on Keanu's. This is like the strange week of what am I writing? So I've got, there's a board that you said you can't see, but at least nine potential ideas on it. Stickies and stories. You kind of have that week to, to yeah, decompress after all to that. decompress and think about what to do. So, yeah, so I'm thinking, I really am probably going to be going into the next Knitting Brother story because he's the most urgent right now. So probably going to go into the next uh, Strong Brother story. I have done a couple of Ahays in the past. So I think I want to look back at those and see what they're all about and maybe rework on something, something, you know, a little bit different while I have a minute to think about it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Tell me about your relationships with other authors. I'm so grateful to my writer friends. And some of them have truly become like family for me. It's just, it's been incredible. And during this year, just we're already in this sort of land of solitude being writers. And then we've been, you know, more in this world and it's been pretty hard. So it's been great to have a core group of people that I could reach out to and we can reach out to each other and say, hey, how are you doing? Check-ins, things like that you know, how's writing going and, but not just how's writing going, how's life going. That's been invaluable to me. RWA has had its ups and downs and downs and ups and all that we know. But one thing I'm so grateful to RWA for has been over the years, the introduction to my writer friends that I've met through RWA. And like I say, some of them are truly, truly become like my, like my sisters and I just love them to death. And they became my sort of safe space, you know, because not every space online and not every group of people you meet online, even if they are in your industry, are your safe space. <laughs> you know, call me the jaded New Yorkers. They do. I'm always the one like, hmm, let me just check on that first. I'm not the easiest <laughs> person to get in with, but they are truly like a safe space to fall because you can't vent everywhere. You can't talk everywhere, but it's great to have that spot and have people who are cheering you on and believing in you because you can get so isolated and in your own head where you think every word is just crap and this, that, and the other thing. And you need someone to pull you back and be like, hold it there, sister. Why don't you just reel it back a little bit with the dramatics? And it's okay. You're, you're fine. It's okay. You're great. And if it's not great, we can work on that, you know? And it's wonderful to have people like that to sort of, you have that camaraderie with, you know that you're not the only one going through this thing called writing and life. And, you know, you're not the only one with these insecurities when 
You're looking at everything online. We all put these perfect pictures online of ourselves and our writing life when in reality, it's not so perfect at all. That is no. that is fake. And whoever is listening to this, believe Juana when she tells you she does not look like her little author picture. Life is not like an author picture at all. It's really not. It's totally different. So it's good to have those, you know, to understand that life is not like that. And we all need need a little help sometimes. It took me many years to understand that I need that help. I'm very much not a share my work with you kind of person, but it's nice to be able to share these feelings with other people and know that other people have those feelings. So I've never really found a critique group. I've done a little bit and some has been good and some just never really materialized. But even if that's not your thing, there are questions that come up and just navigating between Getting an agent, getting an agent, getting a publicist. You know, how do you do a query letter? How do you, yes, you know, where would yes. you even begin? And it's great to have someone to ask, anyone to ask. And strangely enough, you know, you can even on Twitter, you can find good oh, friends. Yeah. They form over the years. I mean, it's not you're not instant friends from the people you meet on Twitter. No, but I've been doing it for many a years now. Those things can develop after a while. Trusted real friendships. You know, you just have to cultivate them carefully as not uh, something to gain, but something to form a real bond and a back and forth friendship. All I can say is I hope that I help my friends as much as they help me. When are we going to meet Keanu? You can pre-order Keanu right now. And we meet him on November 2nd. Well, not Keanu. We meet my dream Keanu, but we might be Keanu. I'm just going to say there's a lot of surprises in this book. We'll just put it that way. I don't want to say names or drop names. When I get done here, I'll be talking to Watermark Books here in Wichita, Kansas. And have Please do. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Find Juana Jackson online at kmjackson.com. Music by Pavel Uden and photography by Casey Meineke. Sound editing by Podcast Engineers. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review. 